Wow, well, I am so glad to be back with you this morning, and I'm going to miss you all in Africa. I leave tomorrow. But uh, it's been a whole lot of fun going through Ephesians together. I've enjoyed this. I've been encouraged by this, and I've been refreshed as I've gotten into this book and unpacked it a little bit more than I ever had before. I hope you've enjoyed it too, but we're not done with it yet. We get more today, and we're going to get even a little bit more next week. Anybody wondering who that secret speaker is? Yeah? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So next week, David Hopkins, Pastor David Hopkins, is going to be speaking. And I can't wait to hear what he shares from Ephesians 4. I know it'll be very, very special. Let me go ahead and start in prayer. God, we thank you so much that in you and through you, we have victory over each and every circumstance that we experience. God, we're so thankful that there is never hopelessness when we walk with you, that there is authentic hope that the world can never take away. God, we thank you for your word, which is Uh, the foundation for everything that that we do in this life. We thank you for your spirit that empowers us. We thank you that through you we can walk in all these things that we've learned about in Ephesians. God, this morning we ask that you would speak, that you would teach, that we would all learn, and that we would hear what you want to say this morning. This is your message. You're the head of this church. We defer to you and ask that you'd be glorified in every word here this morning. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, you can turn with me to Ephesians 6. That's where we're going to be camping out this morning. And we're going to be talking about the victory of Christ. And I just want to start by saying the victory of Christ is not theoretical. We are talking about actual, real victory in Christ and through Christ. As we've studied Ephesians, we've looked at the sufficiency of Christ, the work of Christ, the gospel of Christ, The body of Christ will be next week, but we've talked a little bit about it here and there as we've gone through Ephesians. Last week, we looked at the life of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that he has given to every believer to experience and live his life on this planet. And today, we're wrapping this whole series up with six and the victory of Christ. This is not theoretical. This is actual. I am sure that there are people in here right now listening that are feeling defeated. If that is you, I want you to know that there's hope. As we read in Ephesians 6 this morning, there is hope. In his word, there is hope. Whatever your struggle, however you are feeling coming into this service, I want you to know that there is hope. And as we look forward together as a church, wondering what will become of this incredible church, I want you to know there is hope. God is taking us somewhere special. This church has a heritage that is wonderful, and it is not over yet. He is walking us into a future of victory as a body of believers. We're going to look at that this morning, and it's going to be very, very special. The outline for this morning is going to go like this. Number one, our adversary. If we want to experience victory... We need to know who we're fighting. Our armor. Probably many of you knew that we were going to hit on that today, talking about Ephesians 6. Our advantage. The Lord himself. 
With him, we have victory. And finally, our assurance as we wrap up the chapter. I just want to start by saying that a sure way to lose is to fight the wrong battles against the wrong enemies with the wrong weapons. We're going to learn today how to not do that. We're going to learn how to fight the right battles against the right enemy with the right weapons. I think it'll be applicable and it'll also be encouraging. I, I beg you to stick with me this morning because this has to come out. As Paul's talk to the Ephesian church, he intended for them to take this and to live it out in that culture in which they were such a contrast to all that was going on. They were really a beaming bright light in a society that had become very dark. And as our society also gets darker and darker and darker, God is calling us to shine brightly. What we learn today needs to work its way out in our lives and in our church and in this society that desperately needs to see Jesus. Paul tells the Roman church that that they were more than conquerors in Christ. That is the same for us today. This is not theoretical. In him, we are more than conquerors. But now the challenge is to walk that out. So let's start by talking about our adversary a little bit. Who is our adversary? We need to know who the adversary is if we're going to win the battle. I want to read together. I've enjoyed reading together. I think it's important to proclaim God's word together as a body. We have a lot less to read today than we did last week. So let's read together Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we're called here in verse 10, starting in verse 10, to stand strong in his strength. We talked about that last week, the power of the Holy Spirit available to every believer, Ephesians 5.18. All believers have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now we each have a conscious decision whether we will allow him to fill and control us on a daily basis in such a way that Christ's life can be lived through us. I told you last week that we are unable to live Christ's life on our own, and that is true. But he is sufficient and he is able to live his life through ours. So we rely on his strength and we stand in his strength. We also stand equipped with his armor, we're told here. We're going to jump into that in a minute. We'll describe some of the armor and what that looks like. But if we are going to stand strong, it must be in his armor, not in our own. We're called to stand against the devil's schemes. Here's where we start to learn a little bit about our adversary. I'm not saying this to scare you, but I'm saying this to paint a real picture of a real adversary. Satan is not make-believe. We have a real enemy that really is fighting against us and really is fighting against what the Lord is doing in our community and in this world. The word here, it says that he actually schemes against us. And that word in the Greek means searching, deceit, craftiness, trickery, cunning, arts, and even a method. He's strategizing, you could say. He's not just flinging stuff out there saying, I hope something sticks. He is a strategic enemy that wants us to lose. 
He is setting traps for us, Paul tells Timothy in both of his letters to Timothy, who was serving in Ephesus. He tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2 not to be ignorant of the evil purposes and devices of our enemy. We have a real enemy, and we're not to be ignorant of what he is trying to do in our lives. We need to know who our enemy is. I'm going to tell you kind of a funny story. There was a time many years ago, this is more than 20 years ago, and I was a competitive snowboarder, and we were at a snowboard competition in Romania, which is the place I lived at the time. And my friends told me, the king of the gypsies is going to be there. And I thought they meant the gypsy kings, the band. <laughs> and so I thought, that's pretty cool. So anyway, throughout the course of the weekend, a couple of my friends managed to get on this man's bad side. And they came and they said, this guy's trying to hurt us. He's, he's trying to, to hurt us, him and his, his entourage or whatever. And I was with my friend Chiprian, and we had an encounter with this man. And the guy is yelling at Chiprian, and I went up to him and I said, you mess with my friend, you're messing with me. <laughs> and very thankfully, <laughs> he didn't mess with me. In my mind, what in the world could a musician do to hurt me? <laughs> Sorry, David. <laughs> yeah, David says King David was a musician. <laughs> Tell you what, this guy was the wrong guy to mess with, and by God's grace, God protected me. But I did not know who the enemy was in that situation. We need to know who our enemy is. The devil, let's talk about him. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus says that he watched Satan fall from heaven. We see more about that in Ezekiel and Isaiah. But the reality is that he wasn't always the evil enemy that he is today, but there was a time and place where because of his pride, he fell from heaven. And he became this enemy of us. He's not God's equal that's in a cosmic battle with the Lord, but he's someone who is for a very set time doing a lot of evil on this planet. And we have a very good God who in spite of whatever evil Satan might do, can work it back together into a grand purpose. And that's a hope that we have in our fight, is that whatever evil we encounter, God will bring hope out of it and will bring purpose out of it. The word Satan means adversary. He is our adversary. And the word devil means slanderer or accuser. He is our slanderer and our accuser. You probably all have thoughts come into your head. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not able I'm too weak. I can't win this battle. That is your enemy talking to you. And we need to be vigilant to catch those things. It's easy just to think, oh, that's true. I'm not. And to miss that this is an attack from the enemy. In John 8, Jesus says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He's a deceiver that is trying to lie to people, that is trying to lie to believers. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is what he is involved in, and we see that throughout this planet. I was talking to a man on campus last week, and it turned into a political conversation because he was a political activist trying to register people to vote. And, and he just, I said, abortion, we started talking about this, and he goes, I could care less. <laughs> and it just struck my heart. We live in a society where people have become almost jaded to things like this. 
We have an enemy that's lying to people, saying, life isn't that important. People aren't that important. We have an enemy that is lying to us, and his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. In Ephesians 2.2, this very book that we're reading from, we read that Satan is the prince of the power of the air that is now working in the sons of disobedience, spreading lies and his philosophy throughout this planet, and precipitating evil. In 2 Corinthians 11.14, we read that he disguises himself as an angel of light. And he does that. Actually, two major world religions have been begun by this false angel of light. I mean, technically all of them have. (laughs) But two, by someone claiming to be this divine mediator. In 1 Peter 5.8, we read that he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. He's intentional, he's strategic, and he is prowling. But the encouragement is he's on a leash. Do you remember in Job chapter 1, he comes to the Lord and has to ask permission. He he is not unrestrained. And we have a hope. In, In Revelation 23, 20 verse 3, We read that the day will come when he will be put into a dungeon sealed up for the millennial reign of Christ. We also read that his future destination is hell. That's encouraging. In fact, we read in Matthew 25 that hell was made for him. This is our enemy. His destiny is defeat. And he is trying to wreak havoc right now. Our God is much stronger than him. It's not even comparable. We have the victory in Christ, and we are called to understand who our adversary is as we walk out this life, knowing and being aware of his attacks and when they are coming. We need to be engaged in this. We also read here, and this is kind of important, I think, Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's talking in a plural sense, and I want to catch something here. We need to stand together in this battle. There are other references to this coming up in a minute. But we're not in this alone. Church, we have a common enemy and we have a common battle. We are in this as one, standing united against the same enemy. And we need to stand together. In Ephesians 4.27, I'm sure we'll hear about this next week from Pastor David. It says, don't give Satan a foothold And it's talking about being angry, it's talking about our behavior, it's talking about our speech and our relationships in the body. And he's saying, don't give Satan a foothold in these areas. He's the enemy. You collectively stand together against that enemy. I'm going to show you a slide here. Many of you might remember this from World War II, but one of the ways that the Allies defeated Hitler was by tricking him that Patton had a huge army, and they had inflatable tanks and planes and all these things to divert Hitler's resources away from Normandy so that the Allies could storm Normandy and be successful with less of a fight on the beaches. And it was a good strategy, but it relied on deceiving Hitler about who his enemy was. Satan does the same with us, church. He tells us that our family members are the enemy, our neighbors are the enemy. Our coworkers are the enemy. He tells us that people that are very different from us in society are the enemy. They're not the enemy. 
Satan's the enemy. He might be working in them, but God's desire is that they would be reached for him. They are not the enemy. We need to come together and realize who the enemy is and who the enemy is not. G.K. Chesterton was once asked, what is the problem with society? Well, it was actually a survey in London that many people responded to with essays, and it was a contest to see who would win. You know what? He won the contest. You know what his answer was for his essay, his essay answer? I am. Two words. See, when we, when we go about our work in society and think everything else is the problem, we fail to realize what's going on. But when we can take responsibility and say, it's my responsibility to get my eyes on the Lord, to get my eyes on the Savior, and to let him live his life through me, that's where victory starts. When we stop pointing the finger at all the other things in our society and start setting our eyes on the Savior. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 puts it this way, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We do not fight the same battles the world does. We are the Lord's, and our battle is not against people. <laughs> it's not... It's not all worldly focused. There are elements of the battle in the world that we engage on a daily basis, but the enemy is much different than the people sitting around us. So what about the armor of God? If we're going to stand strong against this adversary, who is a very capable adversary, he's not weak. If we're going to stand strong, we need to stand in the armor of God. So let's go ahead and read verses 13 through 17 together. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which... You will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. We finished that, but we got a little bit off track there. The slides got mixed up. Okay. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and here's the part we missed, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. All right, so let's talk about taking up the armor. 
Uh, this is a command. In fact, in the Greek, it's a command with urgency. This isn't something we're to be passive about, but we're to be intentional about walking in the armor. When I was young, I thought that just meant to pray through the list. Okay, I put on the helmet, put on the breastplate. Okay, I'm good for the day. That's not what it's talking about. But there are elements here that we are to intentionally walk in if we are to be armored correctly for the battle that will come. We're told here that the battle will come. It's not an if, but it's a when. And we all know this. We all encounter battles every day. And Many times they catch us by surprise, many times they're expected, but the day of evil will come, and we're called to be ready and in our armor. This should be something that should epitomize our, our daily walk, walking in the armor and these different things right here. We're, we're told in this short passage four different times to stand. It's intentional that we would be intentional about standing in the armor. We're not going to be pushed down by the battle when it comes. We're not going to be knocked off our feet by the battle when it comes, but we are going to stand in the Lord's strength and we are going to stand in the Lord's armor. We're told, take up the belt of truth in verse 14. The belt, and we're going to see a picture of it here, was central to, no, that was the, okay, let's go back to that actually. So this is the full armor right here. You see a man in a replica of the Roman armor, but also on this relief, you can actually see some of the soldiers of that time wearing this armor. Let's go to the belt. This belt was central to the armor, and it held a lot of armor in place. And uh, it was something that, from what I hear, and I'm not an expert on this, was one of the first parts of the armor that the soldier would put on. It had to be in place. Truth is a critical part of our defense, and it's no surprise that we start there. A lot of the battle ends up being right in here, and we'll read about that as we look through the rest of the armor. But if we are not solidly grounded in the truth of the word, we will be set up for defeat. So the battle starts with being in the word. It starts with being in the word and letting his word change the way we think, change the way we see, change the way that we interact, right? We're called to, to take up the belt of truth. See, Satan lies to us all the time, like I previously mentioned. And we are told, like I also previously mentioned, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. That begins in his word. Our Savior demonstrated for us this exact thing in both Matthew 4 and Luke 4. When he was tempted by this same adversary in the wilderness... And he responded with the truth. This is the first part of our defense. We all deal with thoughts all the time, things that go through our minds. We'll talk about the fiery arrows in a minute. But we have to come back to telling ourselves the truth. It's actually the title of a book by William Backus and Mary Chapion. And the whole premise of that book is to constantly find those lies, whether it's the seed of depression or anger, or any other host of things, to find the lie that we're believing and to counter it with the truth of God's word. And when we do that, we experience victory. We can't be passive about our thought life. Next, we're told to take up the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to look at a picture of what this looked like. There were multiple different uh, shields kind of put together with leather. You can see some remnants of this and how they kind of worked across the, the body of the soldier. And then you can actually see a, 
an old statue of a Roman soldier there that kind of depicts how it came together. Anyway, this protected a soldier's vital organs. And it's no surprise that righteousness is what Paul talks about here. In Romans 3.22, we're told that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus, and it's for all those who believe in him. So this breastplate of righteousness, it starts first with the work that the Lord has done in us as we have trusted in him through faith. But it also comes as we walk that out in his power. In Galatians 2, 20 and 21, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now catch this. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Because of him and through faith in him, we are made righteous and can walk in that righteousness. And when we have a firm grasp of that, we will be protected. And that is something that we all walk in. And that we're all called to walk in. Here, Okay. Next, we're called to take up the sandals. It actually doesn't say that. It says with our feet shod with the preparation that comes from the gospel. But it's talking about the Roman sandals here. And these were what a soldier would wear into battle. You can see that it has these uh, hobnails that would stick out the bottom, and it would give them traction in the middle of a battle. Imagine they had a strong set of armor, but they were slipping and sliding around the battlefield. They probably would have a hard time being victorious on the battlefield. Here Paul reminds them to be intentional about having their feet shod with the preparation that comes from the gospel. See, we have to stand our ground. I just talked about how that was a major theme of this passage. And we're not going to stand our ground when our feet aren't shod with the gospel. Remember Ephesians 2 and 3. In 2 we talked about the work of Christ, how we used to be dead, but he's made us alive. In 3 we talked about the wonderful mystery, which is the gospel the mystery of what Christ has done through, through what, what God has done through Christ that we might be rescued and saved. That truth needs to be foundational in our lives. We need to know who we are in Christ, to remember what he's done in our lives. The gospel doesn't get old. One reason I love to share the gospel is because it, it, it reminds me of the gospel. I'm reminded of what Jesus has done in my life. So one, we live a life that is centered on the gospel and who we are in Christ, and that actually precipitates a life of sharing the gospel. I mean, if I really believe the gospel, it'll come out of my mouth. But when I live a gospel-centered life, I'm going to be able to stand my ground. I will not be knocked down by any of the crazy things that happen in society or the crazy teachings or the crazy lies, because I will know who I am in Christ. Okay, next we're told to take up the shield of faith. And these Roman shields, in fact, that's a picture of the only one ever found intact. But these Roman shields would click together. You can see that on the relief there, where the soldiers could work together as a team, shielded all around. So we're going to talk about the shield here, but what I want to get is there's an element here of standing by faith together as a body. This is fundamental to victory in the battle, is standing united as a body. 
Okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. But we stand, we take up the shield of faith with which we extinguish all those flaming arrows that Satan is constantly sending at us. Fears, doubts, insecurities, all these things, lies that come at us. The mental tape that goes on, you're a failure, you're a loser, nobody likes you. Those are lies. Those are not the truth. I I beg you, when you have those things come in your head, take up the shield of faith. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. He says you're a dearly loved child, that you're more than a conqueror. That is the truth. We have to be active about saying no to those lies when they come into our head. Last week, I told you about my redheaded daughter, Kara, and my son, Micah. I shared a little story about Eliana, or I I saved a little story about Eliana for the end. Last fall, she went to Antigua, Guatemala with me to teach at uh, a ministry thing down there. And throughout the course of the week, the people that we were uh, training that week said, we have an outreach to children coming up at the end of the week. And we were wondering if little Eliana might share the gospel with all these children. Isn't that cool? She was very scared. And I, I think she had Satan's lies coming at her saying, you can't do it. You're not ready. You're just a kid. But she took up that shield of faith. And she said no to those lies. And as stressed out as she was, we talked through it. We prayed through it. She shared the gospel with a group of children. And a large group of children put their trust in Christ that morning. Isn't that special? I was encouraged by her that if she can take up that shield and say no to those lies, I can take up that shield and say no to the lies that Satan throws at me. There's a constant barrage from our enemy, and we must use that shield continually. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we're told that we walk by faith and not by sight. We have to raise that shield of faith and say no to the lies that hit us every day. Okay, we have the helmet of salvation. This is a, a Roman helmet from that era, and this obviously protected the head, which is important to victory in the battle. You can't win if you have an arrow in your head. <laughs> <laughs> the helmet of salvation. Salvation is true about our past, what God has done for us. That's a fact. If we've trusted Christ, we are saved, saved from hell, adopted into his family, made alive in Christ, That is a fact that doesn't change. It's based on him, not us. But it's also an ongoing reality. In every situation, we know that we have a rescuer. We know that he was with us through every battle and that he will bring good for those who love him. He promises us that in Romans 8, 28. So this isn't just a past tense thing. It's also an ongoing reality that we walk in the truth of his salvation and we let that protect the mind that he's given us. So many times the battle starts in our mind. There's an illustration of this that I always think about when, it, when I talk on this. My roommate in college, freshman year, was uh, pretty skinny. He was on the cycling team and they, he was cycling eight or ten hours a day sometimes. And so he wasn't extremely muscular. And even though I'm not the best wrestler in the world, I could beat him every time. (laughs) And as we continued being roommates over the years and got to be best friends, he got much stronger than me. But but still, last time we wrestled was, I think, right before Aaron and I got married 16 years ago. But still, I'd beat him whenever we wrestled. (laughs) And it wasn't because I was stronger than him. 
But he, in his mind, had a memory of me always winning. And that gave him a disadvantage in the fight. We do this. Sometimes we become so predisposed to failure that we forget the power of the Lord in our lives to win the battle. So my encouragement is to take that helmet of salvation, to remember our Savior and the fact that he is with us in every battle and he does not lose. And we can rely on him and experience victory whatever battle we might encounter. Okay, finally, we have the sword of the Spirit. Here's a picture of a Roman sword, an old one, and that's actually an inscription from a relief in Ephesus. You can see the different parts of the armor that we've talked about already, and that inscription in Ephesus actually shows the Roman sword as well. We're told in in Hebrews 4 that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. That is true. Every decision, interaction, and response should be directed by the Word of God because that is the sword of the Spirit. We've talked with many of our friends that are in our K group that are visually impaired. And sometimes we've talked about circumstances. What do we do when we struggle with circumstances like that? And I'm always encouraged by their faith and their willingness to look at God's word and to say, who does God say that I am even in the midst of my circumstance? And how can he be glorified in my life in a unique and special way as I yield to him in the midst of this circumstance? Tara, Lindsay, Miss Bree, you are heroes in this way. You're examples of what it means to say, I'm not going to let a circumstance defeat me, but instead I'm going to let the truth of God's word lead me as I yield on him, allowing him to be glorified through my circumstance. All right, so we've talked about the armor of God. We also need to talk about our advantage before we wrap up here. Our advantage is the Lord. This passage talks about prayer, and the key here is prayer is reliance on the Lord, right? Let's read this together. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here we see a reliance on the Lord and the advantage in the battle. We have a God that does not lose. He is victorious and he stands with us. Now we rely on him. We don't fight alone, but we rely on him. When there's too much to do and there's stress about it, we go to him in prayer and we rely on him. We read here to pray in the spirit, and the command to pray here is five different times mentioned. This is a fundamental aspect of the battle. We rely on him in prayer. We submit to him and resist the devil, and then the devil will flee from us. But he is the advantage in the fight. He is the one that we rely on. We're also told, the Ephesians were, and I believe it stands for us too, to pray for laborers and for evangelism. Because there's a world that needs a savior. And Paul said, pray that I might proclaim the gospel fearlessly and boldly, as I should. The good news is good news. (laughs) 
maybe, maybe we would be sheepish about sharing bad news. <laughs> hate to tell you this, but... <laughs> but good news is good news. I never call Aaron and say, I have some good news, but I, I feel bad about telling you. <laughs> right? We can share good news with boldness because it is good news, even in a world that is not used to hearing that. Okay, so we rely on the Lord, and he is our advantage in the fight. And we have an assurance in this. I'm going to wrap up Paul's last chapter to the Ephesians, reading the final verses, starting in 21. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. Paul concludes his letter to the Ephesians with a few precious reminders. One, encouragement. He was sending them Tychicus that they might be encouraged. I'm not going to spend too much time elaborating on it, but if you look at Tychicus, who was from Ephesus, wherever you see him, whether that's in Paul's epistles or Acts, he's the same guy, which we all know, but that's a sign of authenticity. I love sneaking in the apologetics here. Uh, I interviewed Dr. Lydia McGrew on my radio show last week, and she talked about the consistency of the characters. Paul, no matter where you read him, is always the same character. Same shortcomings, same personality. Jesus, of course, in all the Gospels and all epistles, same character. Peter, always the same character. We get even to somebody that's fairly obscure like Tychicus. And wherever we read about him, he's the same character. We're talking about real people. And an encouraging thing about Tychicus is that he was an encouragement. And Paul wanted these Ephesians to be encouraged in the midst of their fights. He also wanted them to experience God's peace. See, in Philippians, we're told that when we rely on him, casting our cares on him, we will experience his peace that surpasses understanding. And that is true regardless of the battle that we face. Paul wanted them to walk in faith. We've seen throughout the book of Ephesians how important that is. and We've even seen that in this chapter today as we've looked at the shield of faith. We're called to walk in that. We're told about grace here. I want to tell you that grace has liberated me from sin more than struggling in my own flesh ever could. It's liberated, liberated me from fear. It's liberated me from so much. We're called to walk in his grace and in the liberty that he gives us as believers and the goodness that he shows to us even when we don't deserve it. It's his truth that sets us free, not our trying harder. He also talks about Walking with Jesus in a love that is undying. And that's so close to what Jesus tells the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, to remember their first love. So as they walk in this assurance, they walk with the Lord in a way that is defined by love. Loving the Lord and being loved by the Lord. So here's how all this comes together this morning. We are more than conquerors. But there has to be a mindset where we realize that and walk in that. When, when Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land, there were ten with them that lived with unbelief. We have that same choice today to look at our circumstances, to look at our society, 
to look at our church with unbelief or to look with what God says is true, to trust him about what he says is true, and to rely on him for what only he can do. That's our choice today. And my encouragement to you, dear church, is to say, Jesus, we trust you to do what only you can in this body. And we'll take up the full armor of God. We'll remind ourselves of the truth daily. We'll walk by faith in grace and in his righteousness. We'll stand strong in the reality of the good news. We'll actively deflect those lies, fears, doubts, and insecurities with a shield of faith. And we're going to remember the hope of our salvation, both past as far as in an eternal sense and ongoing in my daily life and everything I face. And we're going to rely on God's word every step of the way. I know if we do that together as a body, we will experience all that God has for us going forward. If you don't know Jesus, I I share this every week, but he's very real. Maybe you've never experienced some of the victory that I'm talking about, or maybe those lies that I've mentioned have really hit you for a long time. Maybe those fears about what comes after this life. I want you to know that Jesus died, that whoever believes in him might be saved forever. If you've never taken that step to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, will you take that step with me today? Will you tell him yes? The Bible says that if you believe in him, you will be saved. And you could even tell him that in prayer. You could say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me eternal life. Today, I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. The Bible's clear that if you believed in him today as Savior and Lord, you will be saved. If that was you, please come talk to me or somebody else that you saw up here today and let them know that you made that decision to follow Jesus. We would love to encourage you in your faith. And if you already are a believer, the victory that I talked about today is real. It's not theoretical. It is a fact. Because Jesus is completely victorious. And when we walk with him, we can walk in his victory. We have an adversary that's heading to an eternity in hell. He will not win this battle. We have armor that we can stand with every day. We have an advantage in this fight. It's Jesus himself. We have an assurance of faith and grace, encouragement that as we walk with the Lord, he will give us the victory that only he can. I encourage you to walk in that, to stand together as one body. We're a team. We're one. And experience the victory victory that Christ has for us. As I wrap up my part of Ephesians, I wanted to close with Romans 16:20 The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Jesus, I thank you so much for this incredible church, for these dear friends. I thank you for the good things you're doing here. It's so exciting to be a part of such a special time where you're leading and guiding. And we are so thankful that in you we have victory that no one and no thing could ever take away from us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.